This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, there's just one word, war. We are at war right now. Russia is at war with Ukraine, and Ukraine is under attack. And according to everything that we're reading about and getting updates on, you know, Ukraine is basically being occupied, and I'm using that word deliberately because we're going to give an analysis of that. There are talks today between a Ukrainian and Russian delegation in Belarus today basically resulted in nothing and fell apart. Hundreds of Ukrainians, both uh, military and civilians, have been killed. Russian soldiers have been killed. Russian envoys have been taken out. Vladimir Putin and his economy has suffered tremendously. The ruble is down over 30, uh, 30%. The Russian stock exchange stopped trading today. Russia's buying gold. The airspace over Russia is basically shut down from Europe, United States, and other countries. Basically, Russia's getting hammered economically. The sanctions are, are, are kind of taking hold and really having an impact. Vladimir Putin appears to be a little bit uh, backed into a corner, Jamal, because he has uh, initiated uh, high-level nuclear armaments and capabilities within his nuclear uh, capability and is uh, on full alert for potential nuclear uh, attack, which is really kind of incredible that we're talking about this uh, in 2022. And with all of that, Jamal, the coverage of the War in Ukraine has been outrageous. It's been full of misinformation, full of racism, and we're going to be covering all of that today. You're absolutely right, Jess, and that's the key word. It has been racist, and 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 stay tuned because we're going to talk about and we're going to basically demonstrate all the different racist statements that and sentiments and the difference between the coverage of this war and the war on Iraq and the, and the war on Palestine and the war on Lebanon. And uh, I just have to say, you got to have blonde hair and blue eyes to, to get <laughs> this kind of coverage. But well, first, just yeah, we have a, first, a, a very good interview with Javier Davila, a social justice educator and equity program advisor with the Toronto uh, District School Board, uh, who came under relentless attack by pro-Israel groups, uh, uh, in particular B'nai B'rith, in, also including right. including the media uh, in, 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 in his uh, hometown, the Toronto Sun tabloid, which basically attacked him uh, for basically sharing information, just for just basically sharing information about the occupation, about Palestine. You know, this is again, it's almost connected right. to what's happening with the U- Ukraine. And he was smeared and he was harassed and he was attacked and he was uh, put on leave. Uh, of course, he has been reinstated uh, afterwards and now he's uh, filed a lawsuit. Uh, so let's uh, watch let's uh, Javier. We have discussed academic freedom and the silencing of critics uh, critics of Israel on college campuses many times on this show. This has been a common theme. Our guest today, Javier Davila, a social justice educator and equity program advisor with the Toronto District School Board. Mr. Davila was put on home assignment and under investigation in Ontario 
after sharing information on Palestinian rights, including a resource guide that explains the difference between criticism of Israel and its state ideology, Zionism on the one hand and anti-Jewish bigotry on the other. Subsequently, Mr. Davila was smeared in three separate columns in the right-wing Toronto Sun tabloid and the and by Benai Brith Canada, a leading anti-Palestinian lobby group. The villa was ultimately reinstated last July and did not face any former discipline. On July 10th, the villa and his attorneys, Dimitri Laskaris and Stephen Ellis, announced that they had filed a lawsuit against Benai Brith and its chief executive, Michael Mostyn, under the country's libel and slander act. Welcome to Arab Talk, Javier. Thank you so much, Jamal. Really happy to be here today. I don't know if I've summarized this well. I mean, I know it's a long ordeal, but let's start first by telling us about your role as an educator, as a student equity program advisor. Sure, sure. Um, again, thank you so much for having me here to, to set a little bit of context. I work in Toronto. I've been an educator for 16 years at the Toronto District School Board. Um, for folks that don't know, it's the largest school board in Canada. Uh, it has about 600 schools, uh, 250,000 educators, uh, and 40,000 uh, staff. And my primary role as student equity program advisor uh, is really to uh, bring anti-oppression, uh, decolonial, and anti-racist resources to educators, to staff, uh, and to students. And, and what that really looks like for me, often alongside with and centering uh, the voices of marginalized youth, those whose voices and identities uh, have been erased. So, for example, Black students, for example, Indigenous students, uh, Muslim students, queer and trans students, and disabled students, and using their voices to create uh, programming and educational supports in the school board to sort of direct, set direction, whether it be policy, uh, resources, uh, or, or education. Um, that's kind of in a nutshell what I do. I, I know no, it's, it's, it's it, I mean, it sounds very rewarding, really. I mean, trying to bring voice to the, uh, you know, the marginalized communities and educate people about each other, really. I mean, this is a common theme. And now here you find yourself in the middle of a smear campaign. Did this really surprise you? And, you know, when you learn about your suspension and all these attacks? So I've been involved in a, in a number of different anti-oppression organizations. I've, I was uh, organized one of the first uh, LGBTQ conferences in Canada for, for students and educators. I was uh, co-authored the first uh, guidelines and policies for, uh, for trans and gender non-conforming students. I um, co-facilitated a workshop on educators on dismantling white supremacy. And all of these things had a lot of support and, and were celebrated. Of course, there was some backlash. But when it comes to Palestine solidarity, there's consistently uh, been silencing and, uh, and pressure. So I've actually been suspended and investigated three times wow. in my career over 16 years uh, for Palestine solidarity. 
uh, once just for having a sticker um, uh, that supported boycott, divestment, sanctions, one for calling out the suspension of a Black student who said Free Palestine over the PA, and then this most recent example, which uh, I guess I'll get into in a few moments. Uh Let's let's go to the positive things first. Uh, <laughs> you received you received from what I researched and read broad support. You received support from your colleagues, from educators, unions, uh, the parents of your students. I mean, didn't this make you feel you know good that at least you weren't left alone to suffer? It was absolutely amazing the outpouring for support so so for folks that don't know uh in my job as a gender-based violence prevention or student equity program advisor one of the things i did was create an opt-in mail out and this opt-in mail out was for educators to receive resources on uh, anti-racism uh, intersectional decolonial frameworks that specifically call out anti-semitism and islamophobia and over the years, it's been 12 years since I've been operating this, uh, this opt-in mail-out where I curate resources, I haven't received a single negative comment. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Educators and uh, even directors of other school boards have asked to receive these resources. And so it's May 2021. Uh, for folks that re remember the context, we have major forces or protests impending forced evictions and the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in East Jerusalem, neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. We have Israel violently raiding Alaska Mosque during Ramadan, Israeli airstrikes uh, bombarding the Gaza Strips. Uh, we have Palestinian students in our schools who are impacted uh, by these very things. Uh, and so in the same way, I've always been responsive to um, current world events and to the needs of students and educators who have a lack of resources on this subject, I provided two opt-in mail-outs. And that's where the controversy began. But like you said, there was so much broad support. The day after I sent out the two opt-in mail-out resources, I received dozens of emails from Jewish educators within the school system thanking me for actually approaching the subject in, in very nuanced and, and careful ways. Um, a community members created a public petition, a petition in support amassing 5,000 signatures. Uh, international or national unions, Canadian unions of postal workers, Canadian unions of pu public uh, employees, the Canadian Federation of Students, a group of 30 administrators, anonymous, of course, for fear of reprisal, wrote a letter, grassroots groups of educators, organized writing campaigns, even Jewish family members and uh, who have students in the school publicly came out in support and published a petition that said the resources that Mr. Davila shared were in no way anti-Semitic. A group of 80 concerned educators identified only by their initials uh, and the names of their schools also wrote letters of support. Um, former students from Forest Hill, the Washington Post and the Toronto Star wrote opinion pieces in support. Um, and communities came together and even started a GoFundMe for, for legal fees um, to counteract the attacks I was facing, um, which I guess we'll get into. Yeah, I mean, did you, did you think that this support played a key role in, in your reinstatement? You were reinstated without discipline. 
I was subject to two extensive investigations. So one by the human rights office of the school board and one by employee services. Um, and they, they cleared me, but that reinstatement only came out after this outpouring of tremendous support. And what we really saw in this tremendous support was the stories, particularly of Palestinian students saying they can't even identify as Palestinian in the school board or Palestinian students saying in one school, students were openly wearing uh, T-shirts of the Israeli Defense Forces or Israeli Occupation Forces, but they were not allowed to wear a keffiyeh. Um, we saw educators talking about the silence and surveillance of, of their media. And so it was the first time that I've seen uh, this public outpouring of support, uh, not only for me, but against anti-Palestinian uh, racism uh, in school boards. And I think this was evidence of a shifting culture and a shifting discourse on Palestine that we could no longer ignore, and certainly the school board, could no longer ignore. And yes, I was reinstated uh, without discipline. So nevertheless, the, 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 the smearing uh, has continued. Uh, how dangerous is this to academic freedom at educational institutions uh, throughout Canada? So to give an idea of the smearing, so not only did I, you, you mentioned the three columns written by a, a right-wing columnist known for Islamophobic uh, content and who is also even censured by uh, the Journalists Integrity Writers Guild for inaccurate reporting and the school board listened to her as, as, as the complaint, but the attacks from B'nai B'rith have been relentless coordinated, malicious, and designed to maximize harm. After my reinstatement, they continued to make false statements against me. They made an, an additional complaint with my professional body, the Ontario College of Teachers, uh, having them wanting to revoke my teaching license. And they even made a complaint with the Toronto police, accusing me of incitement to hatred and incitement to genocide. Wow. This is absolutely the most horrible thing I, I've ever been through, not only attacking my reputation uh, and, and, and career prospects, but making me the target of harassment uh, and, and hate um, and really a, attacking my sense of, my sense of dignity. I, I really pride myself on knowing that our liberations are inextricably linked and that we are interdependent and that anti-oppression means I have a responsibility and accountability to center the voices of Palestinians, but the attacks have been relentless. But I'm not the first and I'm not the last. I think we saw this most recently, perhaps you're aware, at the University uh, of Toronto, right. um, where uh, the law, uh, or Azarova was her name, uh, international human rights expert, was offered a job and the job was rescinded after uh, a pro-Israeli anti-Palestinian lobby group learned that she was offered the position and had one of their former board members who happened to be a judge contact the University of Toronto and say that there would be public uh, out outcry if she was hired. Um, it turns out in the past, Many years ago, she wrote two pieces that were critical of Israeli state policy using an international law framework. Um, 
We've had other teachers, Nadia Shufani, a couple of years ago here in Toronto, right. who other smear campaigns. And, and you mentioned uh, Shahad Abu Salam in, in the UK, who was also attacked by anti-Palestinian lobby groups. So the threat to academic freedom is real. The culture of fear is real. And even the threat of losing your job, of being subject to, to harassment and hate, and in my case, the threat of arrest has become very real. So the threat to academic freedom and how employers and schools and universities are complicit uh, in these attacks is something um, that I'm really focused on and, and, and really seeing so much support uh, uh, building around. Look, as as an immigrant or 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 the uh, uh, brown, black, uh, my a minority, one would tend to kind of develop a little bit of a thicker skin, you know, facing harassment, facing discrimination. But this this these attacks and these smears must have must have affected you uh, psychologically. I mean, how do you cope with this? Um. Yes. <laughs> So uh, I I grew up actually in a high control religious sect and I was shunned by my community and my religious community when I came out as, as queer. And I was told that this shunning was an act of love and that any suffering I experienced was my fault. So I'm very familiar with gaslighting. Palestinians have been told the violence against them does not exist or is their fault. They have been consistently gaslit and this takes such an emotional toll, even when we know it's not our fault, the internalized shame, the trauma, the anticipation of violence um, is a daily, daily struggle that has continued to harm me. And often standing up for justice requires a risk. It means that we make ourselves vulnerable. And this vulnerability is used against us. So it's caused me and continues to cause me great trauma and harm. At the same time, this vulnerability has also been a gift. It has allowed me to nourish and forge relationships built on solidarity and built on love. And I'm not saying this in some sort of, you know, fuzzy unicorn imaginary sort of way, but these relationships uh, save lives. And it is by standing together in solidarity that we can name injustice, that together that we can resist, together that we can change conditions, and together that we can build new worlds centered in transformative justice. And nobody is free until Palestinians have self-determination and they are free. So despite the harm, I will continue to fight. Well said. Uh, listen, I know that this is a pending lawsuit against uh, the Israel lobby group, so you don't have to get into the weeds, uh, but uh, what remedies are you seeking? Really, I would like for them to admit that they were wrong and to apologize and to retract their statements. Um, and if we win, uh, I imagine uh, the courts will decide on damages. I would really like to see them to stop attacking educators, to stop attacking students who support Palestinians and redirect their resources and energies to supporting true liberation, to actually addressing real anti-Semitism that is rooted in white supremacy, the same way Islamophobia is, the same way imperialism and colonialism. That's not going to happen. 
that's not their purpose. So perhaps at the very least, we can shine a light on how racist these organizations are, how illegitimate they are and stop listening to them and set a real precedent so that educators can stand in solidarity with Palestine without fear of violence, without fear of attacks. Uh, and so that it comes at a great cost to pro-Israeli anti-Palestinian lobby groups. And really, I'd like to send a message to school boards, universities and unions that they have a responsibility to protect their educators and students by standing up to bullies and anti-Palestinian lobby groups like B'nai B'rith. We talk a lot about bullying and we even create bullying prevention plans in schools and create intervention strategies for students. What message are we sending students when school boards give in to the bullying or universities give in to the bullying of organizations like B'nai B'rith? Javier Davila, thank you for sharing your story on Arab Talk. I'm so grateful to be here. I do want to mention that we are raising uh, funds to support this uh, legal challenge to B'nai B'rith, which will be a, a long and difficult one. Uh, it's on GoFundMe. It's available in the Electronic Antifada article uh, or on my Twitter, xjusticexpeace. Uh, or, of course, you can Google me, Javier, J-A-V-I-E-R, Davila, D-A-V-I-L-A, and GoFundMe. And we really appreciate collective resources to support this collective fight for Palestinian liberation. Thank you, Javier, and, and good luck. Thank you, Jamal. That's the voice and the face of Javier Davila, a social justice educator and coordinator for the Toronto School District in Toronto. Vicious attack. Uh, Now, let's be clear, Jamal. He wasn't uh, proposing or advocating any political beliefs. He was just sharing information. And because of sharing information about Palestine, he was relieved of his position, put on home uh, kind of home duty. Uh, reinstated, but to his credit, he's suing uh, after this vicious attack uh, by B'nai B'rith, by his local newspaper, and again, kind of the racist asymmetry of how certain people can talk about being occupied and get away with it, but if you talk about Palestinians or Syrians... You can't use the word occupation, you cannot use the word... Apartheid. You, or you, or you can't you you can't you can't you can't talk about how Palestinians or Syrians or anybody Iraqis, Yemenis you can't dare talk about how they may defend themselves against a brutal occupation. But if you happen to be blonde and blue eyed, and you uh, uh, are doing exactly the same thing, being occupied and defending yourself then it's okay, you get a pass. So your interview with uh, Javier was really quite excellent, Jamal, and it it serves as a reminder and as a foundation, if you will, of what we're going to transition to here in a minute with the outrageous coverage by the Western media of the uh, war between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, the, and, and the double standard. Let me begin by saying something, and this is I'm um, sharing my sentiments and your uh, sentiments uh, as well. Uh, just being Palestinian who uh, basically uh, my my family was made refugees in 1948 and suffered under Israeli brutal occupation. We are against any sort of occupation, 
period. I mean, this is the period. whole idea, Russia period. occupying the Ukraine or, 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 or having foreign forces on, in Syria or Libya or, or Iraq and, and, and so on. Uh, just it goes against our beliefs and 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 right. what 100%. our own own experience. I don't want to kind of like get people confused, but the coverage of what's happening, coverage. you it's know, the uh, and the, the interpretation the invasion, uh, and the interpretation of the war on and 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 the juxtaposition. I mean, it has been just it has been shameful, and I'm trying to hold my anger. I, I'm I'm telling you, this past few days, I wanted to break my TV screen several Me times. Me I too. mean, Many the times. racial bias in Western media coverage. I, I just I don't know how these so-called reporters can say that they are journalists. And I'm not talking about, about the United States. I'm talking about French everybody. TV, UK TV, American TV. You name it. And we're going to go by some examples, and I'm sure some people maybe maybe watch these and didn't pay attention to those. But you we know? did. And, and but we did. But we did. And then it's, it's like, what is it? Is, it? is it because Ukrainians are white and their proximity to West or wherever that it is, you know... Well, you, 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 you know, look at this, Jamal. You have to look at you this. have we, to kind of have this different coverage when it when 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 it came to a European white country being under attack versus brown people, black people. I mean, let's be very clear. Let's be very clear about that. And I just want to reiterate what you've said, and our listeners and viewers need to understand that we are categorically against the occupation of any country of any land like this, and we are, you know. Ukrainians have a right to defend themselves against occupation in this brutal invasion. But guess what? So do people all over the world, irrespective of their color, their creed, their faith, their religion, whatever it is. And that's really what we're going to speak about today, Jamal. We're going to point out the racist, Islamophobic, you know, basically anti-Arab, anti-Brown, anti-Black sentiment, the flatly racist sentiment on how it's okay for Ukrainians to defend their sovereignty, but not okay for Palestinians, not okay for Iraqis, not okay for Syrians, not okay for Yemenis, not okay for, you know, swaths of the uh, African continent to defend themselves from a colonial occupation. So let, let's be clear, Ukraine has every right to defend themselves, but let's be real. When you hear about how it's articulated and how this is somehow, these these. Ukrainians, it's okay for them to defend themselves. I'll start. Other I'll start people, just by. I'll start by our own CBS News, and okay, then we'll good. go down the line. And this is uh, Charlie Dagata, who, by the by the way, apologized on Sunday. So I have to say she apologized after she came, she was criticized, and after claiming on air that the attacks on Ukraine cannot be compared to wars in Iraq and, and Afghanistan because, you know, the European country is more civilized. And here I'm quoting from what she said. This isn't a place with all due respect like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. This is a relatively civilized, relatively oh European, oh and God. I have to choose those words carefully to too, uh, city where you wouldn't <laughs> expect that or hope that it's... Uh, going to happen. I mean, I don't know what, what thoughts go behind these statements. 
even well, though we do know. even though during when she was uh, when he was saying that during that you know Charlie he kind of like said I have to you know watch my choose words, my words but choose my words but he didn't he's like using he the, word the words civilized I mean here you have someone who's supposedly a journalist educated and he's making a distinction and making a judgment about who is civilized and who's uncivilized so I I guess I am uncivilized because uh, I guess uh, I you guess know, I'm ci- uh, uncivilized too but I want to point out another error that uh, Charlie Daggett made uh, Jamal and he said well, in Iraq and in the Arab world, it's been going on for many years and many decades. Breaking news, Charlie, uh, Ukraine has been under attack from Russia from before Crimea, Crimea in 2015, even before that. So it's been a decade or so or more that the Ukrainians have been fighting off this onslaught by Russia to reoccupy and retake over and try to destabilize that country. So not only is he racist— and inaccurate in what he said, he completely misrepresented this kind of picture of what's happening in Ukraine. Like this happened all of a sudden. It's simply not true. Well, uh, I started with this because I'm sure a lot of people watch this uh, report and they have CBS. But I'll, I'll bring up some other coverage. But what that, was his apology, Jamal? What was his apology? It was kind of using using actually. the word civilized. Basically, he later, I, you know, I mean, he apologized because he came under attack. I mean, I'm sure his editors, etc., they went after him. But I'm going to I'm going to move on because some of these things uh, are not from the U.S. And here is uh, from France. Right. This is uh, this is uh, BFM TV. This is one of the largest broadcasters in France. And I'm quoting We are in the 21st century. We are in a European city, and we have cruise missiles fired as though we were in Iraq or Afghanistan. Can you imagine? So (laughs) he's surprised. The commentator is surprised, leading the news, saying that during, you know, this is during a live broadcast. And then when from another broadcast on also BFM TV, uh, journalist Philippe Korb said, we're not talking here about Syrians fleeing the bombing of the Syrian regime backed by Putin. We're talking about Europeans leaving in cars that look like ours to save their lives. Well, I guess only European people driving BMWs are allowed to get justified to save their lives, Jamal. Not, you know, with the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of refugees within Yemen, again, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Palestine— we don't have the BMWs, I guess, that we can drive up to a border and, and try to get out. So it's uncivilized to save our children. It's uncivilized to save our lives and to save our families. Somehow, because we're not blonde and blue-eyed, we don't have – and a B, you have to be blonde, blue-eyed and have a BMW. Because I did see that picture of that one crossing into into Poland where a family pulled up in a very nice brand-new BMW and they were kind of ushered in – into Poland without any problem. And I went back, Jamal, and thought about all of the Syrian refugees trying to get into Moldova, trying to get into Poland, trying to get into these countries after they were being slaughtered and, and trying to save their lives and being denied entry, fences being built so that they could well, get Well, actually, in. talking about this, uh, and we'll, we can talk about it if we have more time, but also a, a, a lot of uh, immigrants who are in the Ukraine, brown people, black people, people from African countries, Middle East, etc., they have been refused entry to into Poland. You know, they can't leave. They cannot leave no, the Jamal, country they can't leave. because of the color no. of their skin. 
So it, it gets it gets uh, crazier, uh, Jess. And this is uh, I'm faulting, and this one is from BBC. I'm I'm faulting the interviewer, not for what he said, but for what he did not for what he did not do. He did not intercede. So here uh, you have Ukraine's deputy chief uh, prosecutor David Sakvardisi. Uh, told BBC, he was on the air, and I'm sure people saw that if, if, if you watch BBC. It's uh, very emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed. And then you have the BBC presenter, Ross Atkins, basically allowing him and kind of agreeing with him. Not calling him out. Not, not calling, calling him, him out. out. Continue talking about, yeah, yeah, we, I feel you, I hear you, blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing. Later on, of course, again, because of the tweets, because I tweeted about this and uh, tens of other people also tweeted about it, is basically now Ross Atkins apologized just today for failing to challenge the prosecutor about his remarks. I mean, again, this is a failure on on a global network. It's a global BBC, failure to allow such talk to somebody talking global. about lamenting. You know, you know, you know. People, the people who are be, un, coming under attack have blue eyes and blonde hair. In other words, in other words, brown people and black people. It's okay that they could, they could, that they should become refugees, refugees, and they should get slaughtered in Iraq, Afghanistan, in Africa, and everywhere else. But that's precisely the message, Jamal, and that's precisely what this uh, portrayal of the uh, of the occupation of Ukraine is all about. I mean, you're talking about the extreme examples, which I'm glad that we're putting out there. But you know, there are not so there are more subtle examples, you know, that that you and I both see applauding the heroism of the Ukrainian people. I haven't even gotten to the subtle. I mean, I think you and I cannot count the subtle. I, I really, <laughs> it's really, beyond you, you need we like, can't. I've lost track. Yeah, you cannot like really count. It's like it's on a daily basis, both in print, in on radio, on TV. Uh, here's another outrageous thing. This is again I'm bringing it back home to NBC News correspondent Haley Kobiela, who said, "Oh yeah." I to put this. it bluntly, these are not refugees from Syria. These are refugees from Ukraine. They are Christians. They are white. They are very similar to us. She didn't say they are very similar, but I'm finishing her sentence. NBC News, CBS News, BBC. And she didn't apologize. The, and she didn't apologize yet. She, I didn't hear. I didn't. Maybe she apologized later on. I didn't, I, I, you know, uh, I didn't hear it. And, and here's a surprise for you from Al Jazeera English, which I thought they'll do a better coverage, you no, know, having been with Al Jazeera. So even Al Jazeera no. English was forced to apologize, and they did apologize after presenter Peter Dobby uh, said during uh, this past Sunday the broadcast, and I'm quoting, What's compelling is looking at them, the way they are dressed. These are prosperous middle-class people. These are not obviously refugees trying to get away from the Middle East or North Africa. They look like any European family that you'd live next door to. And that's Al Jazeera. This is Al Jazeera English. 
Okay, Al Jazeera English. So if that level of Islamophobia, racism, anti-Arab, anti-black bias is allowed to pervade even Al Jazeera English, Jamal, the BBC, NBC, CBS. And here's the thing. Besides... You and I, who are who have our show on Arab Talk, calling everybody out. I haven't heard a peep from the mainstream media or even the not so subtle mainstream media calling out this BS, calling out this racism, allowing this this kind of disrespectful and racist reporting to continue. It's really outrageous that just this is the just tip, a, this is the tip of the iceberg. And remember, since the very first racist statement was issued. I don't know if it was first CBS or I lost count which one. And then many journalists started tweeting and writing about it. They continued on repeating this. And I I said, we don't have, we lost count on the soft kind of racism and lost track of, of the print. I'll give you an example of the print, but I'm sure if you search the print, this is from the English Telegraph. And this is by Daniel Hannan, and he wrote, they seem so like us, that's it, that's, that is what makes it so shocking. War is no longer something visited upon, upon impoverished and remote populations. It can happen to anyone. I mean, you know, like this is a soft, I would say, racist, but again, this kind of I, disbelief. What are you talking about? War does not happen. <laughs> Hello? World War One, World War Two. where were they? In, 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 uh, on Mars? I mean, the most atrocious mom, wars in history happened in Europe. Hello? And let's not forget the atrocities that were committed in Vietnam, Jamal. Uh, let's not forget about the atrocities that have been committed in Algeria. If you, I mean, we're talking about things that historically happened in the 60s and in the early 70s, and then bringing it all the way up to the first Gulf War, into the second Gulf War, into the war in Africa. I mean, just bringing it into what's happening right now, Jamal. And uh, the lack of historical perspective is one thing. But again, the blatant Islamophobia and racism and inability to fathom the fact that war is war, and irrespective of your skin color, your eye color, and your faith, war is devastating. And breaking news uh, to all these journalists, middle-class people have died in all of the wars that I spoke about. Middle-class people died in Algeria, died in Vietnam, died in Iraq. Middle-class people died in Syria, died in Palestine, died and are dying in Yemen. So this BS like, oh my God, middle the middle class are dying now, that kind of statement is so blatantly uh, disturbing. I mean, again, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, you call it kind of soft. To me, when I hear those kinds of comments, my outrage in some ways is even greater because it's such... A, a profound level of ignorance, Jamal. That level of ignorance, and again, journalists, mainstream media, you fact checked by their editors, allegedly can get away with saying this kind of BS. Just this takes me back to the war on Iraq because I covered the war on Iraq. I've been I've been into Iraq not once, twice, uh, and I've covered the war on Iraq when I was producing Mosaic. So we kept track of everything that was right. said, what was happening right. on several Middle Eastern TV stations, and as well as as well as uh, American broadcasts. And if you if you, re- you recall, and maybe people, I mean, we knew that the, the the coverage was imperfect. You know, for one thing, most 
American media outlets. Remember, they used to put this bug, uh, fluttering uh, flag. You know, they they went into nationalism, which you're not supposed to do that. I mean, you're a journalist; you're supposed to report on what's going on. And then they right. went took their nationalistic behavior, and every single news network was flying these flags and showing patriotism and. And nationalism, so it's kind of like a reminder, but this is kind of it took a a whole different direction because now you have Western media out uh, outlets also at the same time. Aside from their racism, they have been glorifying glorifying Ukrainian resistance, right? So they're talking about. Absolutely. So you see this? They're glorifying Ukrainian, and again, we're not taking side. I think it's wrong. In the invasion on Ukraine is wrong, and 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 countries have the right to resist to defend their land. But you know, immediately they're glorifying that, right? They would never do that for black and brown countries. They, they would never. No. Uh, no. Even they're talking about crowdfunding campaigns towards efforts, you know, uh, on social media and other things, donation, money accounts, PayPal, everything they've been talking about, they will never, they will never <laughs> talk about this when it comes. Like, think about it. They're showing uh, how, uh, and I'm sure millions of people have watched this report, how Ukrainian um, residents or uh, residents of Kiev have been filling bottles of to make Molotov uh, right. bombs and hand them to the resistance if they showed palestinians and glorified the way that they are filling whatever molotov cocktail bombs do you think do you think they'll get away with this no jamal and that's that's the perfect example and you know the fact that somehow the resistance that Palestinians, that Iraqis, that Afghans, that Yemenis, that Africans, when they attempt to resist brutal colonial occupation and war, they they're called when we might as well, we, what are they called, Jamal? They're called terrorists. Terrorists. As I said, yeah. if if you show a Palestinian with a Molotov cocktail bomb, every single media outlet here will call him or her a terrorist. They will not call them Jamal, a resistance fighter, even they, though Palestine has been under occupation for 70, for 70 plus years. years. Even if they throw rocks, Jamal, children throwing rocks to funding their 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 homelands are called terrorists. You know, I wanna I wanna like get your opinion about something else because not only is the reporting of the uh, resistance in Ukraine deeply racist and biased and you know, totally kind of uh, Islamophobic. I mean, it's unacceptable. People have also lost sight of the narrative that Putin has used in uh, in 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 his reasoning for occupying uh, Ukraine. He's using the Israeli narrative, Jamal. He's saying, "Oh, well, Russia has to defend itself against the brutal ethnic cleansing that is being you know that is taking place. Russia must defend itself." You know. They call and what does Putin call Ukraine, Jamal? Disputed. He's yeah, called, that's I, said, what he, I was waiting for you to say that. That's the, then the other point is it it, it hasn't exi it, it didn't exist. Never as a existed. Country. It wasn't never exist. You know. Right. So basically, people so don't have the right for self determination, and that's right. So that's basically no the, is, the Israeli argument and the Zionist argument right here in the United States for Palestinians exactly right. to remain enslaved and and uh, under. Uh, but nobody said anything. Indefinitely. 
But no one has said anything about the Putin narrative about that. Nobody. He's using, he's taking the apartheid Israeli narrative for how to occupy and enslave and basically ethnic cleanse a people and using it as a justification for invading Ukraine. And no one's making that connection whatsoever, let alone the other connections that the Americans and the allied forces used when they invaded Afghanistan, when they invaded Iraq and all. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling, Jamal. It makes your head and my head spin. We want to throw things at our TV. We don't do it. But we are obligated, we have a moral obligation to call out this racism, this Islamophobic, this anti-black, anti-brown, anti-Arab, anti-African kind of, it's, it's, it's beyond bias. I mean, it, it's racism and nothing else. And, and the idea that blue-eyed and blonde people are suffering somehow more than brown and black people is absolutely abhorrent. And we need to call it out. Do you know what and I call it, Jess? I call it a, a blend of racism and Orientalism at the same yes. time. This is why probably these reporters should, should read Edward Said's Edward book Said. just to and learn about this. Is, because you know what? When they speak this way, when they write this way, they're not even... I, I mean... I'm not a, a, a judge of character. I'm, I'm not going to say this particular person is a racist or not. I think some of them are, just like any in any society you have racists and and you know. But others, they just like process their thoughts. They don't even think twice about their words. It's just like the way this is how they the way they see things that you know but Jamal, they're, they're, they can only show their emotions if the victim is white it's the same story and actually this is i have to give it a credit to uh, my wife uh, who reminded me of this it's the same story and and sadly i have to say when a white woman disappears in the united states so when a white right. woman woman disappears and you remember the last case and other cases it's all over it's like you know wall to wall coverage about this and then you have hundreds of african american women and other brown women who gets get murdered disappear etc kidnapped you don't hear their stories well that's exactly right jamal that that's that's a great point and i think we need to drive it home and so i know that i know that we're commenting on the actual reporters but i want to go back to cuz we only have a minute or so left What's going on with the editors, Jamal? None of this stuff gets on the air without editorial oversight, whether it's in print or video or audio. So it's it, the complicity is not just an individual reporter. The complicity here, Jamal, and this is important, is systematic and systemic. It's a systemic racism. It's a systemic bias that includes not just reporters, but editors and entire news organizations. And this is something that we're going to continue to cover because, you know, just before we wrap up, you know, this situation in uh, in Ukraine and, and Belarus may get involved right now. They are getting this involved. Is, yeah, this is, this is going to get much worse. And so we're going to pay attention to the realities of the occupation and the war. And we're going to pay attention to the way in which it's covered because both things are going to be active stories for us on Arab Talk for the foreseeable future. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. 
89.5 FM, go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest episodes. And we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week.